Good morning. Author E.S. Barrett once said, Women, last at the cross and earliest at the grave. All of the Gospels begin their narratives of the day of resurrection by reporting that women were the first to discover the empty tomb of Jesus. It's actually an interesting fact that helps us understand the truth uh, recorded in the Gospels. The fact that women were the first to go and thus women were the first witnesses is an ironic fact because in the ancient world, a woman's testimony accounted to nothing. I apologize to you 21st century women. The first century was a very different place than it is now. The world is a very different place. It attests to the truth of the gospel accounts because if you were making up a religion, you wouldn't have witnesses that count for nothing be the first witnesses of the central core of your faith, right? And here we have, in all of the Gospels, women show up first. They stay latest and come earliest. It seems to be a really big habit and pattern for women in the church. They stay latest and they arrive earliest. Maybe that should be some sort of rebuke and challenge to us men, but I am beginning to digress from the point of this particular sermon. The Gospel according to St. John As we heard Father Ethan read this morning, that author specifically mentions only Mary Magdalene. Perhaps because of what happens in verses 11 through 18, Mary gets to have this conversation with Jesus, the first person in the Gospel of St. John to have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus risen. She came to the tomb of Jesus early in the morning. It was still dark, John tells us. And let's be really clear about what she was expecting to find. She was expecting to find a dead body. She was expecting to find a corpse. She was expecting to find death. She came to the tomb, perhaps out of a desire to mourn for a while, perhaps, as other gospel authors tell us, looking for an opportunity to finish preparing the corpse of Jesus more thoroughly for its rest and its rot. Mary came in her grief and in her love looking for the body of her friend and teacher. She came in her sorrow, in her pain, looking for a corpse. And what she found instead changed everything. Mary's grief became delight. Mary's sorrow became joy. Mary arrived at the tomb looking for and expecting to find a dead body, and instead she found Jesus risen and very much alive. Folks, there's a whole lot that happens in this particular passage. John 20, 1 through 18. There's a great deal of detail provided by St. John as the narrative and tension escalate. It begins with Mary discovering simply that the stone has been rolled away and her assuming that Jesus' body has been stolen by grave robbers. Peter and the other disciples find out because Mary tells them the stone's gone, the the body must be gone as well. And so Peter and the other disciples, specifically the one that Jesus loved, they have this foot race to the tomb. Again, thinking that the body had been stolen. It sounds weird to us to think that someone would go in and and rob a grave, but just a few decades after Jesus' life, grave robbery was so prevalent in the Roman Empire that the Emperor Claudius made it a capital crime. 
People could be put to death because they robbed graves. And so clearly it's something that could have happened. And they look for Jesus' body. They look for evidence. They look for perhaps some hint of where he has gone. But the tension escalates because Peter and the other disciple find only the grave cloths laying aside. They find only the face cloth folded. Folks, grave robbers don't stop to do laundry. And then, and then as the tension continues to escalate, Mary talks to angels, and she doesn't even recognize it. And then Mary talks to Jesus, recognizing that there is so much here. We're going to focus on the entirety of the thing and be here till next Easter. Right? All right. Florence said yes, so here we go. All right. Recognizing that there's so much here this morning, we want to look at only a few verses together, the, the verses in which Jesus risen speaks to Mary. The first thing that the risen Lord says Mary, asks Mary, is this, why are you weeping? This is the same question that the angels of verse 13 in chapter 20 asked her. And she responded, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've ta- led him, laid him. Why is Mary weeping? Well, we can pretty easily imagine that Mary was weeping because she was emotionally devastated by the death of Jesus. St. John tells us that she stood at the edge of the empty tomb and wept. She was weeping in the first place because she knew that Jesus had died upon the cross. And the reality of Jesus dying cannot rationally be disputed, especially as we consider who it was that did the killing. Jesus was executed by Roman soldiers, men who knew death when they saw it. Jesus on the cross, that was no mere swoon. That was no mere passing out. That wasn't about Jesus being dehydrated or having a a loss of blood and so he passed out. No, the, the, the actions on the cross were about Jesus' bodily functions, the beating of his heart, the activity of his brain coming to an end with death. Declared dead by experts in death, Jesus was buried in a newly hewn tomb. A large stone was rolled into its mouth, and a guard of soldiers was set. Jesus was dead, and that is why Mary was weeping. She was weeping because the one who had healed her, the one who had given her new life, the one in whom she had placed so much hope, was dead. Dead. She was weeping because she had no concept of the resurrection. And she was looking for a corpse that now she can't even find. The second question that Jesus posed to Mary is one of challenge, and it plays off of that first question. She's weeping because she's come to find the dead one, the one that she loved. Jesus challenges her when he says, whom are you seeking? Mary, who is it that you're looking for? Mary was seeking one that she expected to find dead. She was weeping because her expectations and her conception of Jesus, the Messiah, weren't too big. They were too small. 
This isn't a matter here of Mary having expectations and desires for Jesus as Messiah that he could not possibly fulfill. It wasn't a matter of her wanting him to be king of a kingdom and him not being able to achieve it. No, it's rather she thought was thinking on too small of a scale, too small of a level. She was looking for one who would come with the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, creating a geographic kingdom, expelling the Roman oppressors. That's all she wanted. She couldn't have a concept didn't have a concept. She could not imagine the glory of one who would not just conquer Rome, but conquer death and sin and hell. And so her hopes, her desires were far too small. Despite her devotion, despite her love for Jesus, she thought too little of him. Her greatest desires and hopes for what Jesus could or would do were too small in comparison to the glorious reality of the risen Lord. Perhaps it is that we, like Mary, need to hear Jesus' question and the implicit challenge that it poses to us. What are you seeking? Who are you looking for? Many things and many people make promises of transcendence and salvation defined in a variety of ways. But here's the thing. Of all the religious leaders and philosophers in the world... Only Jesus died and yet is alive and is alive still. Of all the religious leaders and philosophers in the world, only Jesus experienced true death. He was dead. Only Jesus descended to the grave, descended to the dead, as the creed tells us. And only Jesus walked out of the tomb, having been dead and is now alive. Muhammad is dead. And so is Buddha. Joseph Smith, Jim Jones, David Koresh, they could not conquer the grave. Neither could Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, Steve Jobs, or Stephen Hawking. Maybe you're seeking Jesus, but like Mary, your expectations, your desires, and your hopes for him are far too limited. Because they're bound by your expectations, by your desires, by your hopes. And they're not framed by him. Jesus is dead. Now he's alive. And he is still alive. He's still alive. Jesus is the oldest man in the world. <laughs> he's still alive. And so the time for weeping is over. The time for celebration has come. Narrow expectations about Jesus are exploded as he has conquered death and emerged victorious from the tomb. What's really, I think, kind of ironic, kind of cool, kind of weird, is that in the earliest parts of this conversation, Mary doesn't know who she's talking to. Certainly, she's overcome with grief and emotion. She doesn't even seem to recognize that she's in the presence of angels at one point. She thought, J John tells us, that Jesus was the gardener. But it wasn't that Mary was so blinded by grief. It, it was also that there was something different about Jesus. There's something different about Jesus post-resurrection. He is the same, and yet he's not. Theologian Herman Ritterboss comes to this when he writes that Jesus' resurrection was an ascent to a heavenly mode of existence. And so Mary, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, found in Luke chapter 24, Mary cannot recognize Jesus until Jesus 
makes himself known to her until Jesus reveals himself. Now, at, at a table in the village of Emmaus, Jesus made himself known. Jesus revealed himself to Cleopas and the other disciple in the breaking of the bread. Here, in John chapter 20, Jesus made himself known to Mary by simply saying her name, by uttering Mary's name. The second thing that he says to her is simply, Mary. Early in John's gospel, Jesus had this to say about the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Here then, next to the empty tomb, is the good shepherd. Here then, in John chapter 20, is the one who laid down his life for the sheep and has the authority to take it up again. Here then is the good shepherd calling one of his sheep by her name. Mary may not know that this is Jesus, but Jesus knows Mary and calls her by name. Folks, we have to see the kindness in this. We have to see the tenderness. We have to see the grace that is given. Jesus, we must remember, is the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, the agent of all creation. Jesus has died and been buried in the tomb to rise victorious over the grave, and with it sin, death, Satan, and all of hell. What power is this? What majesty is this? What glory is this? I would submit to you that if you and I had gone through what Jesus had gone through, if we had the power available to us that Jesus had available to him and has available to him, that rather than hang out in a garden next to the tomb, we would have been kicking down the door to Pilate's uh, compound. And in Rambo-esque fashion, we would have been spraying the soldiers with an M60, a belt-fed M60, right? <laughs> I would submit to you that if we were, uh, had the power available that Jesus has, that we would have gone and had a little face-to-face, -face, a real come-to-Jesus conversation with Emperor Tiberius in Rome. And I would submit to you that that's exactly why we're not Jesus. <laughs> because look what Jesus does. He doesn't do any of those things that we would do. Rather, what Jesus does is he goes to Mary and calls her by name. Mary, uh, someone who's really insignificant. Yes, someone who's received healing at the hands of Jesus, someone who's received hope and a new life at the hands of Jesus. But we're talking about a woman in the first century. She was not in the halls of power. She was not a mover and shaker. She did not know how to win friends and influence people. She was a normal person, like every one of us sitting in here. And she, Jesus, the risen Jesus, called her by name. Do you realize that Jesus knows your name as well? Do you realize that Jesus, the risen one, knows and calls your name? And when he called her by name, Mary recognized the voice of the shepherd. And she responds. How do you respond when the risen shepherd calls you by your name?
Jesus' final words in this conversation are recorded in chapter 20, verse 17. He says this, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. St. John doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. The one case where he doesn't give us a lot of detail in this particular passage We don't really know what Mary's response was to Jesus, but we can certainly imagine and and kind of put it together with reading what Jesus has to say. That When Mary recognized Jesus, she perhaps threw a, a big old bear hug around him. Perhaps she fell at his feet and just kind of clung on to him. She, in her joy and delight, was clinging to him, hugging on him, keeping him, wanting to keep him. I love this painting that we have displayed this morning. This is the moment in which Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. I referred to it previously as sort of that's the Heisman Jesus pose. (laughs) Kind of giving Mary the stiff arm saying, do not cling to me. But what does he mean by this? What does he mean? Jesus can't allow her, could not allow her, will not allow Mary to stop him, to keep him from reaching his goal, which is to return to the Father, his ascent into heaven. This ascent into heaven began as Jesus was lifted up on the cross. It continued through his resurrection. Jesus' ascent into heaven was not yet completed, and so Mary cannot attempt to hold him back. And perhaps we should see here uh, Mary trying to do something very similar to what Peter did in Luke chapter 9. At the transfiguration of Jesus, Peter offered to build tents for Jesus, for Moses and Elijah, trying to prolong the event, trying to control the event. And here maybe it is that this is a gentle rebuke from Jesus to Mary. You can't hold me back. Don't try to keep me where I am. He must rather go to the Father and What a wonderful truth here about Jesus' ascension. Notice what he says to Mary. I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Take that word to my brothers, the disciples, and let them know that I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, so that believers in Jesus are taken up into fellowship with the Father and the Son, so that believers in Jesus are themselves sons and daughters of God Most High. Jesus' resurrection is not about him coming back to life so that things can return to normal, right? Things just won't go back to the way they were. Instead, the resurrection is part of God making all things new, and Jesus inaugurates this new era himself, a new era which requires him to ascend to the Father, and so Mary can't hold him. In this, Jesus' ascension is a good thing. His leaving is a good thing because his return to the Father means another will come, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, on the night of his arrest, told his disciples that he was going to return to the Father, but that as he left them, another would come to be with them, the Holy Spirit. In a surprising statement, Jesus expresses that it is better for them that he leave. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. In his resurrection, Jesus received vindication from God. In a sense, the resurrection of Jesus was and remains to be God's uh, stamp of approval upon his life and death. And through this most spectacular miracle ever, Jesus is proclaimed victor and conqueror. And then he is set up 
to rule from the right hand of God. In his ascension, Jesus takes his place at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit then is poured out upon all who believe. Jesus' localized presence there in the garden is now delocalized as the Holy Spirit makes the risen Lord present in this world everywhere. It's tempting, natural even, for us in some ways to feel a level of jealousy for Mary or uh, the other disciples who saw Jesus with their eyes. But did you know, because of Jesus' ascension into heaven and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are better off than Mary. We are better off even than Mary. About a week from this particular conversation we're talking about this morning, Jesus, in another conversation, will say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Why? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who brings the risen Jesus to bear on our hearts and our minds. Jesus is saying to Mary, Don't hold on to me here. I've got more work to do, and it's for your good that I go. The last thing to notice about what he says here. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, Mary, now that you've encountered the risen Jesus, now go tell people about the risen Jesus. Now that you have met Jesus risen, now that you recognize the Messiah and conquering of death, now go tell others about that. There is this real sense that, that Jesus says, don't cling to me in the way he means, I can't be your secret. I can be your savior, and I can be your friend, but I cannot be a secret kept from everyone else. Rather, you must now go and share it. It is to our advantage that Jesus ascends. And as we meet the risen Lord, we are sent out on mission to proclaim him. Who are you seeking? Jesus risen is alive. He explodes our preconceived notions, desires, and hopes as he is far greater than our wildest thoughts. He's so much more than we can possibly imagine, even if, like Han Solo, you can imagine an awful lot. Do you realize that the risen Jesus knows your name? He is the good shepherd, and he calls his sheep by name. If he is calling your name, how will you respond? Have you met risen Jesus through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus has completed his work. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He has ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. The new era has begun, the era of new creation in, through, and by Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit. Jesus risen explodes our expectations. Jesus risen knows our names. Jesus risen changes us as we meet him in the Holy Spirit. And like Mary, we are given the mission to go and tell. Having met Jesus risen, those who believe are called to announce the good news to the world. He is not our secret to keep. Jesus is alive. Jesus is ascended. And Jesus, risen, challenges and changes us as he calls us into his death and into his life.
And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and great.